0: independently owned and operated in his word we read that god desires his people to be prosperous and to be good stewards of wealth learn to manage your wealth wisely with the help of the team at online trading academy heard saturday mornings at 7 a.m on am 1160 hope for your life they have a special offer for you Call 877 OTACHIC to receive a free home study course to learn more about managing your wealth. Call 877 OTACHIC today. I'm David Jeremiah from Turning Point, heard weekday
1: mornings at 9:30, inviting you to share the hope and encouragement of AM 1160 with a friend. Learn more at 1160hope.com.
0: And now
1: Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm John Mauk, and today we're gonna have a conversation with Eric Metaxas about his book called Miracles. What they are, why they happen, and how they can change your life. Eric is the New York Times number one best-selling author of a biography of Bonhoeffer. He's an intellectual and as yours truly, a graduate of that great university, Yale. Boo! <laughs> Which beat Harvard? <laughs> and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of the deep deep questions uh, of faith and and miracles and creation and existence. Uh, <clears throat>
0: welcome, Eric. Well, it's a uh, it's great to be here. Having, been, having graduated from Yale, I'm its biggest detractor, I'm not, not a fan of Yale University, which is part of the, the larger conversation. But also, i got to tell you, since this is Lawyers for Jesus Radio, I, I should have told you in advance I'm not a lawyer. So I don't know That's if you to right. have we'll, me on the we'll, show. That's all
1: right. We'll let you in. We have a small gateway uh, because you have other credentials <laughs> that have brought you in.
0: Okay, just I gotta say it up front. Since I'm a Christian, I gotta tell you I'm not a lawyer. So, but that's okay. That's all right.
1: I'm I'm a a Christian, a lawyer, and also I have problems with Yale too. So tell me that's
0: good. I'll continue the conversation (laughs) because if you didn't have problems with them, I would have a problem with that. So
1: well, well, tell us how you, as an intellectual and someone who got into Yale, uh, came to faith in a, a God who said He raised a man his own son from the dead
0: right who could believe a crazy thing like that unless it actually happened and then you're forced to believe it because it happened and you got to figure it out well i gotta tell you you know i was raised uh, ostensibly uh, as a christian i was an altar boy every week in church and so on and so forth but i wasn't really uh, schooled in is this true it was just something you know like a lot of people you kind of go you take it for granted then when you go to a college uh, like Yale University, University, you um, I, I think you're challenged in a way that you wouldn't be challenged uh, before that. And I came to doubt what I'd been taught. I never actually said I don't believe it, but I said I don't know what I believe, and I don't know if you can know what is true. And I think that that's – it's good to be skeptical. It's good to – really think about, do do we, do we I really believe what I say I believe? Is it true? Is it something I've accepted on faith in a negative way just because it's what my parents taught me? So by the time I graduated from Yale, I was totally confused. Uh, I had not been prepared, really, uh, in the faith to know what I believe. And so I graduated, as I said, confused, wanted to be a writer. And when you want to be a writer, unfortunately, you have a lot of time to think. If you get a really decent job, you don't have so much time to think. I had plenty of time to think about the big questions of life, and I realized that I was uh, in despair. I had no idea who I was, what's the meaning of life, does life have meaning, Uh, can we know whether it has meaning, is there a God, can we know that God? I had no clue. And really, around my 25th birthday, uh, I had a totally miraculous experience. There's no other way to put it. I write about it in my book, Miracles, uh, which uh, is the subject of our conversation, but I, I don't think I ever wrote about it extensively except in my book, Miracles, because uh, I thought it was the right place to write about well, it. But well, tell us know, what happened. Well, yeah, the, the, the short version of it, and there's actually a video on my website where I tell the story, but I had a dream. Uh, for, for about a year, I had a menial job and this, uh, this friend began sharing with me about his faith so I started beginning to think about it, but not, not in a way that, that brought me to where I was going to accept it. That just wasn't going to happen. But about a year into this, literally a year into this, around my 25th birthday, I had a dream. And in the dream, uh, long story short, Jesus revealed himself to me in a way that was so stunning that there was no way for me to disbelieve it. I knew when I woke up it's game over, I'm done, it's true, now I'm stuck with believing it because there's no way I cannot believe it, it's true. And so it changed my life literally overnight. And as I say, the video's on my website. It's just one of those stories that you can't really, you, you can't go back. It's kind of like if you meet somebody in a hallway and then somebody uh, says to you, hey, you know, so-and-so, do you think that person exists? And you're like, I, I don't have to discuss it with you, I just talked to him in the hallway, you know, like it's it's not. I mean, I'll well, I'll I'll indulge you in the conversation. Right. So you but, had
1: you had this this powerful encounter. I think a lot of our listeners may not have, particularly yeah. if if they're not if they're not believers. Yeah, and and Jesus talked uh, in the Bible about a man named Lazarus who said, "Oh, come and uh, come and warn my brothers uh, that uh, I'm in this horrible place." Yeah, and and. Uh, uh, Lazarus says says to uh if they don't or Jesus I guess says I I forget who was saying it if they don't believe Moses and the prophets how yeah. are they going to believe even if someone Well r- that that's rises a little compl- that's
0: a little complicated. I, I don't want to necessarily go down that uh what I think is a rabbit trail because it th- that story is complicated. The reality is this. Um if you if you think like a lawyer, right? You're 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 a lawyer obviously. You you want the facts, and how do you determine the facts? You can't always do it with test tubes in a lab. Sometimes you have to have eyewitnesses. In a court of law, you try to determine the guy who's speaking, is he trustworthy? What do other people say about him? We want a trustworthy witness. Let's say we can get three or four trustworthy witnesses, and they all say roughly the same thing. Now we know you know, we've got the real story, and the, and any jury is going to see that. There's always going to be somebody who's going to say, well, I don't know, I don't know. know, But the point is if you're trying to apply reasonable doubt to a situation, most reasonable people will come up with the same conclusions if enough facts are there, if enough people are giving the same story. That's basically the story of faith. In other words, if if I say I had this dream, and by the way, when people – listen to my version of it there's a lot more to it which you kind of it gives it context so i encourage people to go to my website which is just my name eric but the point is and that
1: that's metaxas
0: M-E-T-A-X-A-X-A-X-A-S-A-S metaxas yeah eric but I, I i say it because you can't force somebody to believe you you try to i would try to encourage people to be reasonable, to be open-minded, and to listen to to the stories that people tell. Because I have my story. Now, I think fair-minded people would say, hey, that's real. Uh, The details are very curious. Uh, It's hard to make that up. But anyway, that's my story. But there are tons of people that have stories, and and every single one of us is obliged, and again, because it's a show for lawyers, (laughs) you're obliged (laughs) to try to be reasonable, to determine is the person speaking uh, somebody of sound mind is this person a perpetual liar? Do they have a reason to be making this up? Uh, if not, okay, maybe I'll I'll listen to them. Y- y- you do this in everyday life, you know. If somebody says, "Hey, uh, y- you want to borrow my car? Y- here's the keys," you don't you don't say, "Wait a minute, this is a trick. I don't think the car is going to work." Or I did. Oh, in other words, it depends oh, on who's giving you the keys. And I well, really think and, when and, you're and, dealing with faith, you have to apply the same standards of logic. Common sense, and to my mind, uh, it's the experience that I had, you know when I was twenty five. That's one experience. But since then, I've read you know a million books, and of course, I've written books because there's so much else to talk about. That's just one experience which leads you down a path. But then you want to say, okay, what can we know about the resurrection of Jesus? Sounds crazy. Did it really happen? Uh, what about people who have written about that? Are they trustworthy? Are their books worth reading? I really think that one of the mistakes we make when we talk about faith is we apply different standards. We should apply the same standards. Is it true? If it's not true, I don't want to waste my life believing in it. If Jesus really didn't rise from the dead, Paul, the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, if that didn't actually happen, we're the most pathetic people. Like, we're crazy. We should not base our faith on a lie. So if it didn't happen... I'm out of here, you know. And I think a lot of times people say, oh, it's just faith. It's it's what you want to believe. No, it's not. It's did it happen? Is it true? Will it, uh, w- will it bear up against scrutiny? Uh, that's what I try to do in my book, Miracles, is to force people to think logically about issues of faith.
1: Well, do, do you find that people really want to know the truth when they realize that there are consequences such as a change of lifestyle or... I
0: can't sleep with my girlfriend.
1: Can't sleep with my girlfriend? Or? Well, that's
0: the, that's the big issue in our culture today. That's the big issue, right? People say, like, oh, I don't know. This God thing makes me nervous. And I, I think here's the issue. If you're, if you're really struggling in life, if everything's going great, it's very easy to avoid the big questions. But if you hit something that really makes you think, you have a death, you have a divorce, you have a painful breakup, something like that, now that pain maybe causes you to be open to something that ordinarily you'd be like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be bothered. And I think that uh, there are those moments in life and those moments, strangely enough, are gifts. Um, I was going through a horrible time when I was around my 25th birthday and it forced me to be open to things that I had never been open to up to that point in my life because, you know, I was young, everything's fine. Um, and I think that we have to be honest with ourselves. Do I want to know the truth? do I want to know the truth? If the answer to that is I'm not so sure, you're being a hypocrite because there is this thing <laughs> called truth and you have to face it head on.
1: Yeah, uh, this is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm John Malk of the law firm of Mauck and Baker. You can reach us at mauckbaker.com, mauckbaker.com or call us at 312-726-1243. We're uh, talking with Eric Metaxas to discuss his book, Miracles. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk about creation, creation of the world, creation of the universe, and evidence for creation. Do people want to know the truth? Do you want to know the truth? If so, stay tuned. Back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio, we're speaking with Eric Metaxas, New York Times best-selling author of Bonhoeffer, Miracles, and other books. Uh, Eric, in your book Miracles, you have uh, two chapters on creation—two different creations, really: the creation of the world and the creation of the universe—and. You indicate, uh, and I got interested in this through an op-ed that you'd uh, written for the Wall Street Journal, that science has been increasingly proving the existence of a creator. Yeah. Now, for folks like us that went to Yale University, that uh, is a thought that's sort of ridiculed.
0: Well, Um, I have to say this, that it's one of the reasons that I write my books, and it's one of the, I mean, it's why I wrote the book Miracles, which we're talking about right now, but it's why I do everything I do, including my own uh, radio show, because I said we live in a world where there's so little evidence of this kind of truth. People do not put it out there. Every time you turn on the TV, you're getting what I call a secular, humanist, usually politically liberal worldview. And you know what? That's fine. It, that's a point of view. But if that's the only diet you're getting, You know, your body's going to suffer, and in this case, your brain's going (laughs) to suffer. All the evidence in my book, I have to tell you, when I read the books that I read on the the subject of creation, the creation of the universe and then the creation of our planet, I said, this is unbelievable. I mean, it is staggering, staggering, staggering information. You can't really get it anywhere, and I thought – that's, that's a sign of kind of a sick culture because we should be talking uh, well, about let, this. Well, let
1: me, let me go a little back to Carl Sagan and, and, and set that up because I had the same mindset and I had the same, uh, and have had the same reaction when actually looking at the evidence. Uh, Carl Sagan, as many of our listeners will know, uh, was a host of a very popular uh, PBS program called Cosmos. In which he explored the mysteries of the universe and talked about what science was was showing, uh, and this was back in the '90s. And he said, oh, "Wait, wait,
0: wait! This was in the '70s, young man."
1: Oh, okay. You
0: can't fool me because I <laughs> well, was in high school. This was in the '70s. <laughs> all right, well, all, all he, the
1: way. But he's he's brought us this idea, yeah, that that the universe is so vast that even though the conditions for life are uh, horrendously long odds uh, yeah. for any any one planet, but that there's so many billions of uh, galaxies and so many billions of stars within the galaxies that there's virtually a certainty of intelligent life. And he said there were three conditions for life, and they were difficult to meet. But but out of the billions and billions uh, that we would find many extraterrestrials. And it seems that this has given us a worldview. Of Star Wars, Star Trek, search for intelligent design. Now, having that—that's the setup for you. What's wrong with that? With that well, view? Well,
0: I mean, it—it just—just to, to show you, since it was in the 70s and not in the 90s, it shows you how primitive the science was. In other words, in the 60s, when Carl Sagan first came up with these uh, basic theses, right? That the, the the thesis first of all that. Uh, There's only two or three conditions necessary for life on a planet. Okay. Now, if that's true, then with the billions and billions and billions of planets that are out there, for sure there's got to be a few that have intelligent life, obviously. And most people would say, that's reasonable. Okay, fine. Well, the problem is that as the 60s passed into the 70s, into the 80s, into the 90s, uh, and into the last 20 years, science has increasingly made the case. This is science. That the conditions necessary to support life on a planet like ours are more and more and more and more difficult. And that is an understatement. In other words, let's say Carl Sagan is right and there's two or three conditions. Okay, then you've got all these billions and billions of planets and you know that there's got to be at least a million, let's say, that could support life on Earth. Well, then what if you find out there's a fourth condition and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh? If you do the math, you start realizing, wow. The numbers come way down. The more we know about science, the more we know that the conditions to support life like ours on Earth are very difficult. What are some of those
1: conditions, uh, Eric, that that have been discovered?
0: Yeah, it's the kind of thing that Carl Sagan wouldn't have known about in the 60s or 70s when he was writing this. But in the 80s and the 90s, they discovered all kinds of weird things. This is, again, this is scientists. This is not you know, Christians or people uh, who believe in the Bible. But they discovered stuff like, oh, by the way, if the moon were not a sixth of the mass of the earth, there could not be life on earth. In other words, if we didn't have a moon, many, many uh, planets either don't have a moon or have 10 moons or have moons that are super, super tiny, like, like the you know, our moon is comparable to the Earth in size. It's about a sixth of the mass. But Mars, for example, has a couple of things we call moons, but they're literally, like one of them is 12 miles across. And
1: our, our moon controls,
0: uh, what, the tides? All This is what's so crazy. Tons of stuff. Our rotation. In other words, we wouldn't have be able to have life on Earth if our rotation weren't stable, if our rotation weren't 24 hours you know, uh, per revolution, uh, if the axis weren't uh, stable, if it was wobbly. I mean, it goes on and on. You start thinking, I never learned this in science class. But scientists are discovering this. The problem is there's a lag in terms of what the science shows us and what we're teaching in schools and what producers on TV shows know. So you still get this old-fashioned view from the 60s and the 70s that, oh, there's probably life out there. In fact, just the other day, there this thing about they ca- they found these seven exoplanets, and they go on and on like pretending like, oh yeah, they're going to be evolving life any second, and you think, no, the science says that the odds of that have become so slim, I mean, this is why when I wrote the piece for the Wall Street Journal, I originally titled it, Is Science Leading Us to God? Kind of open-ended, you know? Yes. Uh, which, And by the way, the my answer is a resounding yes, but the editors at the Wall Street Journal changed the title to Science Increasingly Makes the Case for God. They said, we're not going to ask the question, we're going to state it straight out, and that article became, now this is not a joke, that article two years ago, uh, Science Increasingly Makes the Case for God, in the Wall Street Journal became literally the most popular, most shared article in the history of the Wall Street Journal. And I always joke around why, because it's written so well? Of course. <laughs> uh, no, n- yes. because the interest in this subject, and again, it's why I wrote my Miracles book, the interest is huge, but the people... In TV, in journalism, they never write about this aspect of it. They just avoid it or they tell the other side of the story. Is, is so it the politically hunger, incorrect? Or well, they... I mean, of, of course. it's it's It sort of implies that we're special. And people say, oh, who are we to think we're special? We're no different than the cockroaches or we're no different. And you, and you say, look, 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 look. Forget about how it makes you feel, if it puffs you up with pride or whatever. The point is be a scientist. Look at the facts. Are we alone in the universe or not? Science increasingly makes the case that we probably are. And that is something you're just not hearing. You hear the opposite every day, and, and, and you, you start realizing that creation is so fine-tuned. I mean, let me, let me put it this way, John. I'll put it this way. When I'm talking about this, I say, imagine uh, Carl Sagan said there are two or three conditions for life. Today, there are probably 200 that science can point to that you say, if these 200 things are not exactly, exactly, exactly right, there can be no life on the planet now that's what science says it's not what I say or Christians say this is what science says so imagine a wall with 200 dials and everyone has to be calibrated within a millimeter or a micrometer just perfect if one of them is turned you know to the right just a tiny bit the whole thing goes kablooey that's where we are and so you start to think that life on earth is so fragile it requires so much for us to be here that it's almost frightening. And then once you get beyond the fear, you say, it's awesome. God designed everything so perfectly. And every day, science is discovering more things that we didn't know before. And so, again, I'm not a scientist, but I can certainly read books by scientists. I, I talk about books by John Lennox. He's probably the best. Uh, I'm, I should say he's tied with Hugh Ross. They wrote books that I read on these subjects, John Lennox and Hugh Ross. And I said, Why doesn't everybody know about this? This is amazing. It's why I put it in my book, Miracles, to try to get the word out that there's way more to the story.
1: I think it needs to be out there. There are people who are searching for the truth and really want to know it. And if they've come to the position or or the conclusion that there is a creator, what would you recommend as their next step in their search? what
0: What I say, I mean, this is one of the lines from my book, is that... Most people, I would say, if you ask them, do you believe there's a God who created the universe? I think most people would say, yeah, I believe that. I don't know the details, but I I don't believe we just got here by accident, even though that's what they teach in schools, whatever. I think that there's a God who created the universe. Well, you say, okay, if you believe that, then do you understand what a big deal that is? Look at the science of the creation of the universe. If you believe in the Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago, what did it take for creation uh, to produce... Everything we have in this big explosion, when you start studying that, you kind of get freaked out. You say, whoever this creator is, is so intelligent that it's kind of frightening. And as I said, it's one of the reasons I think the article in the Wall Street Journal exploded so much because people are thinking, why am I not reading this? You're telling me scientists are saying this? The the guy who invented the term Big Bang, a scientist in the 40s and the 1950s, Fred Hoyle, said that when he looked at some like weird stuff, it, it was something on the molecular level or even the atomic level, uh, he studied it and he said it shook his atheism because he understood that you know, in order uh, for things to be as they are, this is an atheist speaking, he said they needed to be calibrated so perfectly it kind of didn't make sense. How did they just end up at this perfect calibration? It didn't make sense, and yet... Uh, most people would say, oh, no, well, you know, it's just it's just happenstance. We're just here by happenstance. Well, uh, if everything comes together really, 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 really perfectly, uh, you know, if you find a watch on the beach, you don't say, oh, how interesting. Look what the waves created. You say, this kind of looks creepily like some human being or some intelligence created this watch. Uh, you know, so that's kind of my encouragement to people to look more deeply into it. I think you'll be encouraged.
1: Well, we appreciate, Eric. Uh, metaxas for your being with us today and uh, where can listeners learn more about you or your book
0: i always say just go to my website it's my name eric com. my radio show you can find at dot amen thank you you're have to serve somebody yes indeed you're gonna have to serve somebody